And hello, everyone. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, and today's guest is Dr. Graham Turner joining us from Australia. He's with the Australian Institute of Sport. Uh, Graham, thank you so much for joining me and, and taking the time to share a little bit about what you do. Um, you have many titles, so rather than me try to explain them, maybe you could just explain uh, what you do and how you got there. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for the invite. Great to be on the show um, in sunny Melbourne, as you see the background behind me. So, yeah, I'm currently a performance pathway coaching consultant at the Australian Institute of Sports. Been in Australia five years and been in this role just over a year now. Um, and basically, this is all part of a significant investment made by the Australian government to try and kickstart the performance pathway. Um, so I'm particularly working with um, national sporting organisations. So we've got approximately 40 of those. Um, and they're pretty much shared between me and, and my colleagues. So I'm in touch with about 20 sports each. And specifically with uh, coaches then, we're looking to improve the the capacity of the sporting organizations and also the capability of the, the coaches. And particularly our focus is on the identification, development, support of, and progression of the talented athlete towards podium performance. So that's really where the, the focus is, trying to build that capacity within each sport and trying to support the professional development of that coaching workforce. So when we talk about performance pathway, pathway my, my first thought was long-term athlete development model. Um, is, is this kind of what you're looking at of we develop athletes from when they're young and then we try to identify which ones can go on to become elite level, maybe compete in the Olympics, that kind of thing. Um, but then also provide opportunities for those who want to be physically active for life, which is probably the majority of, of those in the sports that we're talking about. Yeah, well, the way it works in Australia is we've got two national organisations. So the Australian Sports Commission, Sport Australia. Okay. Um, and also under there is the Australian Institute of Sport. So with regards to community participation, so those, those children, young people, and um, the coaches who service that part of community sport, that's Sport Australia. Okay. And so within there then, yeah, Sport Australia would focus on kind of four levels. So we've got um, learn, play, compete, perform. And then once, once an athlete gets to the perform stage, so that may be they're getting towards being identified as being talented, they're getting towards stage representation. That's where, um, we look at the performance pathway. So the performance pathway is actually not the first stage of talent identification, but it's the national stage of talent identification. So you, you may be identified as a, as a good athlete and you get picked for your state, um, but we're actually working with the sports on the athletes who are then identified at the national level, but not just identified to be good enough to progress to the national team, but actually good enough to progress to podium performance at benchmark event, which we class as world championships or an Olympic games. So the, the pointy end really. So does that mean that you work with the athletes or do you work with the coaches who coach those athletes or both? Yeah, for me primarily it's the performance pathway leads and also their coaching workforce. And there are touch points with athletes as we build out. We're pretty early in our strategy. So for example, one of the things that we're looking at going forward is the Australian Institute of Sport hosts camps for coaches and their athletes. And so those are the kind of opportunities where I'd be working to support the coaches, but directly in contact with their athlete development there. 
So, so how do you actually, I, I guess what your, what are your roles and responsibilities? You said you, you kind of oversee 20 different um, sports. What do you actually do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is I wouldn't say I, I oversee the sports Fair and we kind of work, yeah, we, we work in a, in a process where we regard the sport as the expert in relation to the best way for them to develop. So of course they've got the technical and the, and the tactical knowledge of what's required for their workforce and, and to achieve podium performance. With regards to our system initiatives, um, the investment that's been made is, um, we basically had a significant investment from the Australian government and with our strategy, the first phase was we've gone with workforce appointments. So for every sport, we've enabled them to be able to employ or increase the capacity if they already had an existing person of a pathway lead. So previously, um, if, if a focus needed to, to be spent on pathway athletes, not every sport, because it depended on their level of sophistication or maturity. Not every sport would have the same resource to spend on pathway athletes. And when, when I say resource, you know, that, that's time, that's people as well as, as money. So what we did was we thought, right, we, to be able to really make a strong move in the direction we want to go, we want uh, to build a community of pathway leads. So in all of the sports, then each sport has been able to go forward to appoint their lead person. So again, the range of sports I'm talking about Olympic sports, such as swimming, where Australia's got a really strong pedigree. Um, other sports that have got very similar pedigree. So you take something like modern pentathlon, who recently got a gold medal, but far less in- infrastructure. So, so not dealing with like it, um, like at all. Um, and then you've got also the Commonwealth Games sports, such as netball is a Commonwealth Games sport. You've also got even lawn bowls, which are world champions in terms of lawn bowls. So. We've got that network of people. That was the first uh, stage of our strategy. And then what we've done with our second um, set of funding is we've invited those sports to pitch for solutions grants. And basically the, the remit that, that they're required to fulfill is to be able to really identify the cohort of athletes that they're targeting. So these are future cycle athletes. So we're looking at um, Paris and Los Angeles Olympic Games. So when they look at their pipeline, can they really identify the key athletes, really be clear on the numbers that, that they need, the locations they're in, the services and the coaches required to support them? Can they come up with a plan to be able to take advantage of current opportunities, to be able to identify challenges, specific solutions? So we're working with eSports. So with me working with currently, for example, uh, wheelchair basketball. Um, okay, what are the opportunities in the Paralympic Games that are, that are coming up, where, where do we see some gaps in terms of our athlete pool? So for some sports, it may be females that they're, they're looking that there's a real chance that they could fast track. So we've basically come up with a strategy um, to support the sport and help them prepare that. And then once that funding agreement is approved, then it's my place to work specifically with the sport to look at the rollout, the implementation of that plan with a specific coaching lens. Um, Within my team, we've got sports scientists as well. So um, where we're looking specifically at matters of, for example, athlete categorization in terms of the evidence behind the developmental trajectory, we've got a multidisciplinary team that we tap into. Uh, my clear focus is, okay, what, what's the process that we're looking at for auditing the working 
the workforce with regards to coaches? Do we really understand who our, our key coaches are, who they service in the pathway in terms of athletes, what their needs and their wants are, and how we take that forward? So we're early in that strategy. We're only at, um, within that first year, and we've still we've got those performance pathway leads in place, and we've got a number of solutions grants that have been approved, and we've got others working through the system. Before we carry on with that, I want to backtrack because you have a, yeah. a very unique job. And I don't think there are many people around the world who could say that they have a job similar to yours. How did you get there? It's, you know, somebody may be looking at that going, this is a really, really interesting job. There's a lot of opportunities for growth and, and seeing different sports and being involved with a variety of different um, projects, I guess you would say. What does one do in order to become the position that you have? Yeah, well, it is a great job. And I ask myself the same question. How the hell did I manage to get this? Because it, 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 one of the things I say is it, it beats working for a living. But now we do work hard. And I guess, yeah. Um, well, the key then is the key is, I, I guess, my strength is learning. And my, my context is has always been... Um, the talent space, the pathway space in terms of supporting the performance of athletes. And so it, it's a long process. I mean, I started off, as you tell from accent, I'm, I'm English. So as most young English boys do, kicking a soccer ball around. Of course, we call it football, but just for the American audience, I'll, I'll use the word soccer. Um, so, yeah, I started off as a soccer coach. And, of course, I, I'm knocking on a bit now. So this could be quite a long story, depending on how much you wanted of it. But um, I guess what I'd say is learning has been key. So if I, if I start off in terms of where did I start and thinking about this for students. So there weren't sports science degrees. They're, they hadn't really kicked off when I was a student. Um, I wasn't a high-flying school leaver. In fact, I left school at 16 with an average or pretty much below average set of grades and knocked about in a few meaningful jobs. And then when the time was right for me, which is, which is probably about 21, thought I really need to get stuck into what I want to do for a long term. So I actually started off as a PE teacher and um, did a PE teaching degree. But I guess when I think back and think, well, okay, what might have been different in the way that I approached it compared to others? So I was doing a PE teaching degree, but at the same time, I wanted to learn more about every sport. So as an example, which I think is not what most people do is, so I took coaching accreditations. So I took coaching accreditation in football, as you might imagine. But actually, I was also interested in the other sports in the curriculum. So I took coaching accreditations in tennis, in gymnastics, in volleyball, in rugby. I was interested in athletic development. So I became qualified as an Olympic weightlifting coach. And then I was interested in, well, yeah, um, if I can make people run faster because I know about athletics and I can make them stronger because I know about weightlifting, what about when they break down? So I was interested in, well, what about injuries? So I became qualified in treatment and management of injuries. So I guess that kind of set me off on the journey of I, I want to keep learning. So um, by the time I got to the end of my four-year honours degree, I was, I was like a lot of sports students where my attitude was, I'm done with that. I don't want to do any more of that anymore. I just want to go out and get, get a job in sport. Okay. So I was like, no, nah, I don't want to study anymore. That, that, I'm all good. Um, so off I went and I and, uh, yeah, managed to uh, start working in sport. But, you know, probably um, about 10 years later, I'm thinking, well, there's things I'm interested in here. 
it's things I'd like to know more about. So um, took, took the um, step to enroll in the master's degree. Um, so that was the next stage of learning. And, uh, and again, I would say got to the end of the master's degree and said, and I definitely don't want to do a PhD. No, I won't be doing that. Um, so parted again, and in between, I'm, I'm, the further you get with your, you know, we would all say the qualifications aren't the be all and the end all, but they help. And so taking advantage of opportunities, a big, uh, a big stepping stone for me, I think, was moving out of uh, being involved in, in physical education, teaching and sports coaching and, and going to work in higher education in the university. Mm. So I got a job as a, a lecturer. Um, that whole open up different opportunities for me, and what presented itself then was the UK looking at their Institute of Sport model and and thinking, okay, where's that going to go with uh, strength and conditioning support? And because I've been really interested in the athletic development side of things, then I got involved in that at the beginning. So I became a founder member of the UK Strength and Conditioning Association, put myself forward to um, as a nomination for the board, got elected. So that opened up doors for me, opened up involvement with other sports. Um, eventually then, when um, you get to the stage when actually, yeah, there's, there's some stuff I'd like to dig into, bit the bullet again, went for the PhD. Um, and again, it's, you know, the PhD, anyone who's, who's done it will tell you there's some pain with a PhD. You got, yes, you got to change, yeah, you got to chain yourself to the, to the laptop. <laughs> so you, you got, you got to want it badly enough to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was, I'm actually doing this because I've got something that I'm really interested in and I want to study. So my, my PhD was in talent development in sport. Okay. Um, and then the opportunity opened it, itself up. Um, to go to Australia and it wasn't for a job. It was basically an opportunity to get a visa through family sponsored. And so I took a risk. Um, so that's a feature. I've taken some risks. I've, I've moved out of permanent jobs for short term contracts because I saw them as opportunities. Mm. Um, so I came to Australia without a job, took a risk. Um, my family were all in Melbourne. I saw a job in Darwin, which is um, a four hour plane ride away. Um, one year contract, took the risk, went to there, worked in the, the Institute of Sport and uh, that connected me into the system in Australia. From there I was able to get a job again, a one year contract with Gymnastics Australia as National League Coaching Manager, helping them go towards Commonwealth Games and from there into this role in the Australian Institute of Sport. So the same as we say about athletes, non-linear development. There's no straight line trajectory. I'm definitely not a high flyer who's always destined to be at the top of the next best thing. You know, the old adage that uh, hard work beats talent. Um, and yeah, for me, that's kind of the way it's gone. Mm. I, I think, though, there's two points worthy uh, of repeating within that. Well, three, really. One, there's no obvious path to getting to where somebody wants to get. A lot of yeah. times those, uh, it just happens. And then, you know, I could share my story and it would be all over the place in order for me to get where I am today. But I think the the other two things are, you know, be inquisitive and be willing to learn new things outside of what your specialty necessarily is at the time. And, and then also uh, taking the risks of saying, you know what, this is an opportunity. I'm going to be uncomfortable, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's that's worthy of, of kind of mentioning again um, when uh, when you 
when you look at where you are now, what are some of the challenges that you see for, for those in, in coaching right now? Well, it's always the balance. Uh, if we're talking about entrance to the profession, it's, it's the balance between um, experience and qualification. And with regards to the qualification, there's certain hurdles that you can't get over without the qualification. But as we know, there's plenty of people with lots of pieces of paper who we might think we could do a better job ourselves. Um, so it is, it is about taking as many opportunities as you can. So if I go back to thinking again about myself when I was an undergraduate, so I need to, needed to do a thesis. So how do you want to look at a thesis then? Can, do you want to look at a thesis as hard work um, and it's something I've got to get through? Or do you want to look at a thesis as an opportunity? So I've said I've always been on this, this thread. So what did I choose for my thesis? Well, I wanted to look at talent development. So who do I want to look at it? Well, I'm in England. I love soccer. Mm. So my thesis, I got in touch with the Football Association. This was before the Premier League, before academies. And I went to Liddershall, which then was the National School of Excellence, where the under-15 and the under-16 England schoolboys lived and played. And I did my thesis with the England International Schoolboys. So that's an example of, Look at um, look at what you might see as hurdles as opportunities to be able to build a connection, leverage your your, your knowledge, um, and then it is about also recognise that people will be quick to make judgments. You know, unfortunately, that's the kind of society we live in, and so the impression you make is going to be really key on the opportunities that are opened up before you. Mm. When you, when you look at sports as a whole and, and you, know, you work with a variety of different sports, we, we talked a little bit about this just before the show and, and how some sports obviously get more coverage, more funding, more visibility, uh, more finances, and others you know, struggle. And you're in a position where you were talking about some of the grants and things that can support some of these smaller sports. Um, what about those, those coaches though? Because Sometimes those coaches may not be able to make a living from the sport that they're in just because it doesn't have the revenue. Is this a case of a coach needs to build up their image, uh, make themselves more known, maybe get those promotions in the, the sport itself? Or is there another way to do this? Because when you look at a lot of sports, they just there's just no money. And so the coach is a part-time coach. And then you ask the coach to go and get these certifications and this training and travel here and there. And they go, well, I'm not sure because I, I don't really make much from this. Um, so why should I invest this time and money? Do you, do you have that situation in Australia? Because I know in the U S it's a huge problem. And we have a lot of coaches that just are not, not only are they not certified, they may have never even taken any courses in, in yeah. yeah, it is a similar challenge. And as you say, it depends on the sport and the resources available. But for sure, we've got sports in Australia where the senior national team will go to world championships and there isn't the funding to pay for the coach to go with them if the, the coach is going to need to self-fund that. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's right at, at the highest level in, in, in some sports. But I guess... Um, the reality of it is from, from a systems approach, and that, that's the level that I'm engaged in now, 
and the high performance support is directed to achieve specific strategic outcomes. So it's not about medals at all costs, but it is about investing in the right sports, the right coaches and athletes who, who demonstrate that they they um, have a developmental trajectory that suggests there's going to be a high degree of success. I think when it comes down to the individual coach, it's you gotta you gotta ask yourself why you're in it. Um, so you know. There's certain professional sports where you're going to be rich. Most of the most of the Olympic sports that I'm working with, their coaches don't ever expect to become rich, and that's not what they're in it for. And so, if you, if it's what motivates you and gives you that intrinsic satisfaction, you know, I think back, I was, um, you know, I worked as I said, I, my first degree was PE teaching, so I was working for ten years as a PE teacher. Um, alongside when I started working in professional football, started off at Wolverhampton Wanderers. A little bit later when I started to do my master's degree, I was a head of physical education. So as well as teaching full-time, I'd got further responsibilities. I was also working part-time at that stage for a club called uh, Crew Alexandra. So that would include midweek sessions and weekends, and that was with the senior pros with the first team. And at that point, I decided to embark on the master's degree. So full-time job, part-time job, family, three children, daily commute was an Irish way. Decided to embark on a master's degree. I remember the university saying to me, you've only enrolled on one unit. It's going to take you five years to finish this degree. And I was like, that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's just see where it takes me. So, you know, they, they say if you, um, you want to, if you want to get a job done, ask a busy person. I think, yeah, it, it's um, if you're really ambitious, and that, that's one thing I've said about myself, whenever I've been involved, I've always wanted to, it doesn't matter on the context, I've always wanted it to be as good as it could be. So if I'm working at um, a senior level, we want to get the best results that we can get. If I'm working at a developmental level, we want to have the best process in place to support young athletes to be able to develop and progress because, of course, the results aren't so important there. So, yeah, it comes down to um, what you're in it for. One of the challenges is a lot of young people then, when they embark on their higher education, then, and I was the same, they're doing it because they like playing sport. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a transition to be made there um, because you're not going to come out of your degree and get paid for playing sport because you've learned more about it. You're going to get, you're going to have an opportunity to go in a role where you aren't the performer. And so, for example, I came out of my first degree, got offered the job with Wolverhampton Wanderers. That meant I was going to be working every Saturday, every Sunday. That meant I was retiring from playing. Mm-hmm. And that's the call I made. That was the opportunity because, yeah, I, I could carry on playing soccer um, and be pretty average for a fair few years, or I could have an opportunity to get involved at a level that I was really excited about. So, you know, that's a hard call because I absolutely loved playing soccer. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the call I made. Mm -hmm. when, when you think of coaching as a whole, one of the, the challenges that you might experience at the elite level is, is finding the right coach for the group 
that exist in Australia. And do you, do you, and I don't know that you're involved in these decisions, but, but you certainly work with the coaches at the elite level. Do you find that a lot of those coaches are coming from Australia or do you find that the coaches may come from other countries because they have that, you know, deeper knowledge in that country about sport X, Y, and Z? Yeah, for sure. It's very sport specific, I find. Um, so I mentioned that I was the national elite coaching manager for Gymnastics Australia. And there, there's a really significant and valuable contribution being made from coaches who have come from uh, Eastern European uh, backgrounds. So Russia, Ukraine, um, and even in, in actual fact, um, up until last year, our senior women's artistic gymnastics coach was Mihai Breschen, who was actually based in America. He, he coached Ellie Raisman, who was uh, gold medalist at the Olympics. He had a stint as our national coach. So there is definitely some technical, tactical expertise that's really strong in particular sports from particular countries because, of course, it's to do with the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, some, sports are, some, some sports are just really strong because of the cultural identity. Um, and there's experience that um, is invaluable. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely seen that in, um, in Australia. But I guess one of the things that Australia is, um, works with in the same way that other countries is making sure that the cultural fit works for the athletes. Because if you've got Australian athletes um, and they, they're brought up in a particular way, in a certain way of working, um, sometimes that isn't isn't the same as um, the regimes that are used in other countries, and so that's where there is a challenge to, to get the balance balance right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great point. Um, when you, when you look at a, a country like Australia or even you know England slash Great Britain, they're very very successful in sports. When you compare the the size of the country, the population of the country to to some other countries, which are much bigger, maybe have much more resources. What what do you attribute that to? You know, is, is there something in the, in the development of the athlete, the development of the focus that, that allows a country like Australia, or as I mentioned, England or Great Britain to really, you know, be on the, podium time and time again in so many different sports yeah you're right there are different countries who stand out and for me then um there are four clear principles because this is this is about system outcomes and so of course individual sports um can be relied upon to to be self-sustaining but in terms of supporting a whole system then there's four simple rules, and that is you've got to you've got to be clear on your vision, so a really clear articulation of your desired future state. In terms of the mission to support that vision, you know, have you got people with clear responsibilities who understand the day-to-day tasks, what they need to keep repeating to enable you to move towards that desired future state? And then when you look at your capacity, and for us, that's the national sporting organisations and their workforce. We've just taken undertaken that really strong initiative to increase capacity to support the direction we want to go in. And the final, the key for me, and this is where my sweet spot is, is the organizational learning. So what's key is the feedback loop. So if you're clear on where you're trying to get to and what you need to do to get there, 
and the people who are responsible for moving that forwards, how can you really be clear about the process in terms of tracking, monitoring, understanding what's working, what needs to be tweaked, and how you feed that back in to constantly evolve? Because, you know, as we're told again, um, if you're leading, then you better start changing what you're doing. Because if you carry on doing the same thing, then you're going to get caught up. Because it isn't about what you're doing now, it's about what you're going to do next. And do you think that the governmental funding is, is an, an advantage, I guess, because there's other countries, well, like the US, for example, where they don't get governmental funding. And so it's, we have to solicit funding from other sources, whereas, you know, you have Sport England and, and obviously um, funding in Australia that is kind of that, that relied upon pipeline of funding to, to pay for a lot of the, the training and support personnel and all these things. Is, is that, do you think a significant factor? Or no? Well, I think it's, the, it's, it's a different model. So in Australia then, we have a lot of talented athletes recruited for NCAA scholarships yes. in, in USA. So whereas you may say, well, we, we've got, um, particularly at the moment, the, this funding that's been implemented, we haven't got the same structures in place with the university sport. And so for, for some athletes, um, it's a real strong pathway for them to move to the USA to, to get great development in those environments and then come back and contribute to Australian high-performance outcomes. So, mm-hmm. so in that sense, um, it's not simple to say that it's about the money. Um, because if I think back then to one of the lessons that I took really strongly, I went on a study visit to Russia. This would have been about 2002, and I toured their uh, sports schools, schools of the Olympic Reserve and their high-performance facilities. The one thing that struck me was the fact that they didn't have spanking brand-new state-of-the-art facilities. The, the thing that really struck me was the expertise of the coaches mm. because in their system, they have this the school of the Olympic reserve. If you're a talented athlete, you go there and you're educated. And at the same time as learning your sport, you're doing your university study around your sport. And so then in their system, they're feeding you back into that education system. So they've got expert coaches. So you've got different models. It isn't so much about um, how the money's, allocated is actually about the outcome of how that resource is utilized that that would be my view on it and it, it needs to be different in different countries because geography plays a key difference you know if you compare it to england um we can fit england into the little corner of australia and same with right. you in the usa um so it, there has to be a different kind of model there even though there's ring fence funding um australia geography is uh, a real challenge because um, the population, you know, compared to USA, you're looking at about just over 25 million in a really big, um, a really big country. So mm-hmm. it, it has to be looked at, um, and it has to be a model that suits the country and the requirements of the athletes in the sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great answer. Um, just just to wrap up, I wonder if you have any kind of advice for coaches, given. You know, the fact that you've worked in a variety of different sports and, and have coached yourself and, and now work with a lot of coaches for those who are coming up, for those who are interested in maybe progressing as coaches in their careers. Well, what would you tell them? 
Well, I guess I can give you I can give you three three tips. So, if you don't go after what you want, then you're never never going to have it. Um, if you don't ask the question, then the answer is always going to be no. And if you don't step forward, then you're always going to be in the same place. So, three key pieces of advice for me, and we talked about being uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable. You've got to be bold. Sometimes you've got to choose the right moment to actually um, challenge. But the timing of that's pretty key. I said that was the last question. The last question really is, well, I, I know a lot of people will watch this later on YouTube, and if they have questions for you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, so if you want to um, drop me a line on there, connect to me, that'll be good. Um, so, yeah, Dr. Graham Turner you should be able to find me there. And, yeah, happy to connect to anyone who wants to uh, get in touch. Well, Graham, thank you so much for taking the time to share a little bit about your work and, and what you do and, and also some of the ideas that you have and, and maybe advice for coaches. Hopefully, people who do have questions reach out to you. Great. Thanks, Tim. Just a reminder, of course, we, we always have interviews going on, hopefully once a week over the coming months. If you're interested, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast channel so that you can keep up to date with our special guests. But on behalf of myself, Tim Baggers, and of course, Dr. Graham Turner, thank you so much for watching.